Well, good morning. I am so glad that you're here and that those of you watching online and those watching in the Life Center, I'm glad that you're here as well and tuning in. Uh, today we're in a series called What's in Your Box. We started that at the very first of the year. What's in your box? And what we've been looking at in this series is simply the question, what are you dragging into a new year? What kind of problems, what kind of stuff, what kind of junk is in your box that you're dragging into this new year, hoping somehow that this year is going to be better? So last week we talked about unforgiveness, that that for some of you is what's in your box. For some of you, you can point to a day, can't you? There was a day when someone hurt you. There was a day when someone did something against you. And you may not remember the calendar date, but you'll never forget the day. You'll never forget the day that they did what they did or said what they said. You'll never forget the day of how you hurt, how angry you became, how devastated you were. For many of you, there was a day, a day that you've been holding on to, a day that that you've been pulling around for a long time, perhaps. Now, here's the problem. The Scripture teaches us that we're supposed to forgive people who hurt us. But that doesn't even make sense, does it? I mean, how do you forgive somebody who deliberately hurt you? How do you forgive someone who won't admit that they've done anything wrong? How do you forgive someone that you genuinely hate? So, here we are. We're in another year, and we keep pulling around the same old junk. We're in another year, and we're hoping this year is going to be better, hoping this year is going to be different, hoping that somehow this year is going to, things are going to change for us. But we really need to deal with what's in our box. I love the story of Peter, who one day went to Jesus. Uh, Jesus had been talking about forgiving, and, and Jesus, or Peter came up to Jesus one day pulling his box. And he basically said this. He said, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone? The person who asks that question is someone who has been hurt. The person who wonders how many times I have to do this is someone who has been struggling with that issue for a while. The person who asks how many times do I have to forgive someone is somebody who has the calendar and they know how many times they've been wronged. Now, I told you last week that in in Peter's time, the rabbis would, uh, would teach that you have to forgive somebody three times. Peter said, you know what, Lord, I'm willing to double that and add one. Would that be sufficient? I'm just wanting to know where the limit is. Because this guy I'm dealing with is a rascal. In fact, this guy that I'm dealing with is basically a jerk. And so I just need to know where's the limit. Because I'm trying to follow you and I'm trying to be a good Christian, but surely there's got to be a limit to this love and this forgiveness and this mercy and all that kind of thing. So, So Peter went to Jesus one day and he said, I need to ask you, how many times? How many times do I have to forgive that guy who's hurt me? And we talked about this last week, that Jesus told this story to help Peter understand that if you're looking for a loophole, you, 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 you miss the whole concept of forgiveness. In order to make the issue very clear, Jesus told a story about forgiveness. And just to review, because some of you weren't here last week, in the first half of the story, Jesus explains what forgiveness is. And that's what we looked at last week. Let's just look at the scripture quickly. It's in Matthew 18. We're going back to the text we used last week. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. 
Jesus said in verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts and his servants, settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And I told you last week that 10,000 talents is, is roughly 30 to 50 million dollars. Now, now get that, mind, that in your mind, that this guy owed 30 to 50 million dollars. Now, let's, let's keep reading. Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay... The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Uh, The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And we told you last week that that really was an impossibility. He had a debt he couldn't pay because he made a servant's wage, and a servant's wage was one denarii uh, per day. And a denarii was, and I'll tell you in a moment a little bit more about this, but it basically was equal to 17 cents. He made about 17 cents a day. And he was saying to the master, if you'll be patient with me, I'll pay you back that 30 to $50 million I owe, making 17 cents a day. In other words, he had a debt he could never repay. And so let's keep reading. What he, what he desperately needed was mercy. What he desperately needed was his master's forgiveness. And so we, we pick up the story uh, in verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. We told you last week that this was Jesus' way of saying that real forgiveness is when you set someone free from what they owe you. Somebody's hurt you, you and you think they owe you. Real forgiveness is when you set someone free from what they owe you. Real forgiveness is when you quit trying to make them pay for what they did to you. You see, you don't try to collect from people who hurt you because the people who hurt you can't pay you back. They can never pay you back for what they did to you. And so sometimes we have to do what this man did, cancel the debt, and let him go. That's what we talked about last week to bring everybody up to speed. That was the first half of the story. Now today we're going to look at the second half of the story. In the second half of the story, Jesus explains why we should do that. In the second half of the story, he explains why we should forgive. The servant in the parable went out and did something unbelievable. The man who had been forgiven of 30 to 50 million dollars, Jesus said he went out and did something unbelievable. Look at verse 28. But when that servant, notice how he says that servant, the one who had just been forgiven by his master of a 30 to 50 million dollar debt, Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Jesus explained that that servant went out and, and he found somebody. And the word found there in the original language, it has the idea that he didn't just happen to come across him. He went looking for him. He deliberately went out to find him. And he went out to find this man who owed him a hundred denarii. Now remember what I told you, that's about 17 cents each denarii. So it was considered basically a hundred days wages. Or in today's terminology, we would say he owed him $17. The man who had been forgiven of 30 to 50 million dollars went out to find the guy who owed him $17. Now let's see what happens. Verse 28. In the middle of verse 28, he grabbed him and began to choke him. 
pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Does that sound familiar? It's what the previous guy had said. Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Verse 30. But he refused. And instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. This man had a chance to offer the, this other guy the same type of forgiveness he had experienced, the same type of mercy he had experienced. But look at verse 30. Look at how these three key words in verse 30 are stated. But he refused. Want to put that on the screen. But he refused. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a pivot point in the story. This was a calculated, deliberate decision. The man who had been forgiven much, the man who had been forgiven of a 30 to 50 million dollar debt was faced with the opportunity to show mercy to a fellow servant who owed him 17 dollars. But when he looked at that man, anger filled him and he refused to do what the master had done for him. That's what some of you have done, isn't it? We're honest. You refuse to forget. You refuse to let go. You refuse to forgive. And so we pick up the story in the middle of verse 30. Let's just read verse 30. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. He cast this man into debtor's prison, and it was a no-win situation then because the, if you were in debtor's prison, you couldn't pay until you got out, and you couldn't get out until you paid. It was just a vicious cycle, a no-win situation. But then we come now to verses 32, 33, and 34. And if you have your Bibles, get ready to mark some things. This is the key passage I want you to see. These are some key verses in this story about forgiveness. Verse 32. Then the master... Call the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Now, would you get your pen or pencil handy? Let's, let's mark this story and make it personal. Look, look in verse 32. Would you underline in verse 32, I canceled all that debt of yours. I canceled all that debt of yours. And then in verse 33, would you mark the word mercy? Shouldn't you have had mercy on this guy like I had mercy on you? You know what mercy is? Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a time when my dad believed the Word of God where it says, spare the rod and spoil the child. Maybe you had a dad like that too. And my brothers, Dave and Larry, they got all kinds of whippings because dad believed the Scripture. They really did. Now, I, me, not so much. I mean, when you're the perfect child, you just don't get that many spankings. But my brothers, Dave and Larry, man, they got a bunch of them. They're preachers now. I think dad beat the devil out of them, quite frankly. But there were a few times, there were a few times where 
I probably deserved a spanking. There were a few times when I was guilty, I was wrong, I had disobeyed, I'd smarted off. There were a few times where I deserved that belt. And there were a few times where Dad showed mercy, where he did not give me what I deserve. You've done that for your kids too, haven't you? You know, I mean, you're angry with them. You're disappointed in them. It's time to give them that discipline that they deserve. They've earned it because they, man, they really messed up. But you looked at them and you had mercy on them and you did not give them what they deserved. Hmm. Isn't that what God did for you? Isn't that what God did in your life? And isn't that what God says, I've done that for you? Don't you think you should do it for someone else? Now, verse 34 and 35, I'll just warn you ahead of time. Verse 34 and 35 is where the story gets uncomfortable. This is where we realize that there's a twist in the story. You see, in the first half of the story, we realize now that the first half of the story is really a story about what God has done for us. We are the guy who has a debt we never could repay. God is the master in the story who took pity on us and canceled our debt through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And aren't you glad that he did? We are the guy in the story who had the debt we couldn't repay. God is the master who had mercy on us when we didn't deserve it. In the second half of the story, though, in the second half of the story, Jesus is saying, I expect you to do for others what I have done for you. When you refuse, you're refusing to give others the forgiveness and the mercy God has given you. So let's read the verses and see what happens. Verse 34 and 35. Let's start in verse 33. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is where the story gets interesting. This is where the story becomes uncomfortable. You know what the point of this story is? Jesus said, I want to teach you a lesson in memory. He knew that in this life we'd be slighted, we'd be hurt, we'd be offended, we'd be abused. But he also wants us, before we react, to remember. To remember that at one time, we owed God a debt we could not repay. At one time, we owed God an enormous debt. And in his goodness and in his grace, he canceled the debt and forgave us of our sin and wiped the slate clean. Here's how the Apostle Paul, we will put it on the screen, Colossians chapter 2. Look how Paul said it. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave us all of our sins, having canceled, look at that word there, he canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. In other words, he canceled our debt, and here's how he did it. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. You see, the thrust of the story is this. If God forgave us of an enormous debt that we could never repay, then he expects us to show that same type of mercy 
to those who have hurt us. And can I be honest with you? And, and somebody will be hurt by this, somebody get mad by this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Listen to me. Listen. Listen to this. Over in the Life Center, make sure you hear this. Forgiving someone of what they did to you is nothing compared of what God forgave when he forgave you. God said, I want you to have a lesson in memory. There's really no comparison. You say, "Well, well, well, Keith, you don't understand and you don't know how badly they treated me. And God says, apparently, you don't remember that it was because of your sins that my son had to die on a cross. And if I could forgive you of that, God says, you should be able to forgive somebody else of anything. You see... There's a simple biblical principle in this story, and the simple biblical principle is this. The forgiven are to be forgivers. I want you to say that out loud with me over the life center. I want you to say it out loud. Let's all say it together. It's a very simple statement that I want you to remember. The forgiven are to be forgivers. Now, I hope in the life center you did better than this crowd did. Let's all try it again, and in the life center, let's do it again. And here's, It's a simple statement, but it's a true statement of, an important principle, let's say it again. One, two, three. The forgiven are to be forgivers. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, when you have experienced Christ, you must go out and be like Christ towards others. It's a good word, isn't it? When you have experienced Christ and the mercy and the grace that he made available, you have to go out and express that same mercy and grace towards others. Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4. Look on the screen. Ephesians 4, he said, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, we're never more like Jesus than when we choose to forgive. The story's conclusion is simply this. For the believer, forgiveness is not optional. For the believer, forgiveness is not optional. God doesn't expect you to forgive that person. God demands it. And when we refuse, then we're like the servant in this parable. And we disgrace the grace we've experienced. Recently, people from all across America saw an incredible display of mercy and grace. Remember the fires in Gatlinburg, Tennessee? Back in November, the end of November? There's a story that he probably heard about, but it's uh, a man named Michael Reed. He and his son, he and his son went for a drive that day, and while the fires were all across the mountains, he and his son went for a drive. I'm assuming maybe they went just to see what it was like out there. What he didn't realize was how close the fire was to his own home. And as he was out driving around looking at the fires and Gatlinburg and everything, he got a call from his daughter 
And his daughter said, Daddy, the, fi- the flames are across the street. The fire is across the street. He told her to call 911. They told each other how much they loved one another. And that was the last time he ever spoke to them. Now what you need to know about this story, the good news in this story is that Michael Reed and his son and all of his kids, about a month before the fire, trusted Christ as their Savior. So, here's how the story unfolds. I'm just going to read something that he wrote. You know by now that the fire was started by two juveniles. Why in the world they were doing it, I'm sure they didn't expect it to turn out the way it was, but it was started by two juveniles. And so I'm just going to read you from this Facebook post. First it says, Michael Reed, whose wife Constance, who was 34, and daughters Chloe, 12, and Lily, 9, died at their home on November 28th. And he wrote about the tragedy in a Facebook post. And here's what he wrote. I'm quoting, I'm reading what he wrote in the Facebook post. He says, I forgive you. My son forgives you. We know that you didn't mean for this to happen. We know that you'd take it all back if you could. We will pray for you every day. We will pray for your parents and for your family. Every day we'll pray for your peace. We will show grace. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. Then he said this, and some of you need to hear this. This is for somebody here today. Here's what he said. If you live your whole life holding a grudge against everybody who has ever hurt you, you're going to be lonely the rest of your life. He says, I hurt and can be angry with them, but this is not how our life is supposed to be. If Jesus has forgiven me of my sins, I have to follow his footsteps. Here's a man who had experienced the grace and the mercy of God about 30 days before this tragedy occurred. And he had had experienced God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And he recognized, he realized what some of us have forgotten. Once you've experienced that, once you've been forgiven, you have an obligation to forgive others of their debts, which are much, much smaller. Now, how can you do that? I want to be very practical before we end this. How do you do that towards the people who have hurt you? How do you extend forgiveness to people who have hurt you or people you actually hate? I'm going to give you six things that will help you. I want you to write these things down. Uh, just, I'm going to mention them quickly. First of all, the first way that you express that type of forgiveness is this. Number one, you take the issue seriously because God does. In fact, here's how seriously God takes the issue. Look in verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So, Pastor, what does that mean? Verse 34 and verse 35. Uh, what, what, what does that mean? Be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure what, what all it means when it says in verse 34, in anger his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all the oath. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Pastor, what does that mean? I don't know, but you don't want to experience it. Right? You don't want to go through it. You don't want to experience the discipline of God. 
You don't want to experience God's discipline. So take the issue seriously because God does. Number two, you have to decide to forgive. You see, it's a lordship decision, not a feel-good decision. You don't make this decision because it feels good. You make the decision because Jesus told you to. It is a lordship decision. It's an act of the will. Uh, and, and so, as, as an act of the will, you make a decision. Just like, by the way, unforgiveness is a decision too. Remember in the story it says, but he refused. That was a decision, a deliberate decision. Unforgiveness is a decision and forgiveness is a decision. Unforgiveness is an act of the will and forgiveness is an act of the will. It's a decision you make not because you feel like it or want to, but it's a lordship decision. Number three, live out the process of forgiveness. You see, forgiveness, everybody watch this, forgiveness is a decision and it's also a process. The decision is, I choose to forgive you. That's the decision. But then there's the process where I have to live that out. Because day in and day out, I'm going to see that person. Or occasionally, I'm going to come across that person. And it's this process of when someone has hurt you deeply, forgiveness is when you say, I will treat them as if it never happened. That's the process, isn't it? I won't bring up the offense to the person. I won't bring up the offense to others. I won't even bring up the offense to myself. I'm going to treat them as if it never happened. The the debt has been canceled. I'm going to cancel the debt and let them go. That's a process. And when you realize sometimes that that unforgiveness is creeping back into your heart, you know, you you happen to see them at the grocery store or something, and they're doing quite well, and and all of a sudden you you start getting angry again, then you have to go back to step number uh, two and say, Lord, as a decision, as an act of my will, I forgive them. Help me to live out this process of extending mercy and grace. So it's a decision, and it is a process. Number four, you have to lay down your anger for good. We looked at that in the scripture a moment ago. You have to lay down your anger for good. Unless you let go of your anger, let go of your bitterness, it will reenter your life. It will resurface. You have to let go of the anger. Number five, ask God to cleanse your heart and forgive you. Ask God to forgive you because of what you've been pulling around in your box. Ask God to forgive you of that, of that anger, that resentment, that bitterness, that refusal to forgive. Ask God to forgive you of what you've pulled around in that box for months or maybe years. And number six, this one may be the hardest of all. Pray for that person. That will feel unnatural. It might even feel like it's impossible. But do it anyway. Because watch this, listen to this. Praying for them invites God into that situation. Praying for them dampens the anger in your heart. Pray for that person. Now, let me be clear about a couple of things. Number one, forgiveness doesn't mean you excuse their behavior. I'm in no way suggesting that you just need to get over it. Forgiveness does not excuse their behavior. It prevents their behavior from destroying you. That's the value of forgiveness. It prevents their behavior from destroying you. It doesn't change the past, but it does change your future. That's why you need to do it. Number two, the second thing is, as far as a clarifying statement. Forgiveness may or may not lead to reconciliation. You can forgive someone and still not have the relationship you used to have. If someone has cheated you in a business deal out of $1,000, you can forgive them from your heart. You can cancel the debt literally and set them free. That doesn't mean you have to go back and go do another business deal with them. 
So forgiveness and reconciliation are two, two separate things. Forgiveness is, is what's in your heart. Forgiveness is about what you're going to live with. So, may I remind you of something before we close. I want everybody to listen very carefully. Over in the Life Center, listen very carefully. May, may I remind you that one day you're going to stand in the presence of Almighty God. You're going to stand before the one who, according to Psalm 103, has separated your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. You will stand before the one, according to Micah 7, who has buried your sins in the depths of the sea. You will stand before the one who will have nail prints in his hands as a sign of what it took to forgive you. And as you stand before God, do you really think you're going to have the audacity to say, I just couldn't forgive that guy for what he did for me. Lord, I know that you separated my sins as far as the east is from the west. I know that you took my sins and buried them into the depths of the sea. I could see the nail prints in the the hands of the Lord Jesus and his hands and his feet, but I just couldn't forgive that guy for what he did to me. I don't want you to go through life living like that. I don't want you to miss what God wants to do in your life this year because you're still dragging the hurts from last month or last year. That's not the way to live. That's not what God has for you. That's not the way to experience God's best for you. There has to come a time when you let go. There has to come a time when you cancel the debt and let them go. And the only real way to do that is to absolutely forgive them. Where you say, I'm no longer going to focus on what you did to me. I'm just going to focus on me. You hear that? You've been focused on what they did to you. What you really need to focus on is you. I'm no longer focused on, on what you did to me. I'm going to focus on me. I'm no longer going to focus on the junk in your box. I'm going to focus on the junk in my box. What's in your box? Let's pray about that. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please understand that 2,000 years ago, God sent his son into this world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine so that we could be forgiven. Those who have been forgiven are to in turn be forgivers. Don't be like the guy in the story where it says, but he refused. Those are tragic words. But he refused. The more you refuse, the harder your heart becomes. The more bitter you become, the more dead inside you become. The only way to experience relief and release, the only way to experience joy again, the only way to experience the peace that you're missing is to cancel the debt and let them go. Again, not because they deserve it, but because you need to do it. It's for your benefit, not for theirs. It's because you have, been, you have experienced God's mercy and God's grace. 
And now you need to extend it to someone else. Father, I pray for those that are struggling with this issue, for those that are wrestling with that face that's in their mind right now, that name, that date on that calendar. And, and God, there's this internal struggle and there's anger and there's just all kinds of turmoil in their heart right now. I pray that not by my words, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might tell them and show them that they need to express mercy. They might forgive, just as in Christ Jesus, you forgave us. And I pray that in Christ's name, amen.